thankful to God, thankful to you all, your preacher, for allowing me to be here this morning as we study a portion of God's word. Again, this morning, Luke chapter 22. I want to look at with you verse number 31 of our text this morning. Luke 22, we're going to begin at verse number 31. The Bible says, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. He said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. For the next few moments, I want to bring a lesson entitled from the text itself, Satan Desires to Have You. Now, we know from Luke chapter 8, verse 11. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. We know what that seed is. It's the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1 down to verse 4. It's the basic facts that Christ came. He died, and he rose again on the third day. In the book of Ephesians, we can read about how we are blessed and highly favored. But with all of your blessings, you have an adversary that desires to have you. There is an adversary that is not comfortable with you being blessed. And this adversary is no other than the devil. He is called Satan. He is called the accuser of the brethren. And the Bible says Satan desires to sift you as wheat. And then Jesus says, I have prayed for you that your faith failed not. Know that the devil who rebelled against God is after your faith this morning. The Bible says he is like a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. The Bible declares that we ought to put on the whole armor of God, Ephesians 6, beginning with verse number 10. The Bible says again in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 11, we are not ignorant of Satan and his devices. So every child of God needs to be aware that someone is out to kill you. Someone is out to destroy you. Someone is not comfortable with your blessings, and he seemed to sever your relationship with God by resting your faith. It is by faith we come to God. It is by faith we need to stay with God. The Bible says in Hebrews 11, beginning with verse number 1, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders had attained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So those things which are seen were not made of those things which do appear. By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found. For we had this testimony that pleased God. Verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe 
that he is and that he is a reward of them that diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, verse 7 of Hebrews 11, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his house. Over and over and over again in that church, the Bible speaks volumes about faith. We live by faith. We are justified with faith. We are to walk by faith and not by sight. The elders attained a good report by faith. These all died in faith. Everything we see today is moved or orchestrated on the basis of our faith. Because he understands, Satan understands that if he can get your faith, he can get you. And again, the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. So Satan is after your faith. Again, because he knows if you don't have faith, it will sever or it will destroy your relationship with the God of heaven. So we are at the Lord's Supper in Luke chapter 22. Or rather, Jesus is instituting the Lord's Supper. And Jesus is announcing to them, one of you is going to betray me. And they all begin to ask Jesus, Lord, who is it? Is it I? Is, am, am I the one that's going to betray you? Now, this conversation didn't last long because the next question they're going to ask is, well, Jesus, who's the greatest in the kingdom? It's amazing to think that in the midst of Jesus telling them of his denial and his betrayal, they said, well, Christ, that's cool. But which one of us is going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Peter said in instance, Lord, it ain't going to be me. I'm not going to be the one that's going to betray you. Then Christ said, Peter, Satan desires to have you. Out of all the ones who made a statement, Christ turned to Peter. Peter was always the one who was outspoken. Peter always had something to say. Whether it be good or whether it be bad, Peter was always the one who had to say something first. And so Christ turns to Peter and he says, Satan desires to have you. It's interesting to observe. Look at the text here in Luke chapter 22. It's interesting to observe that when Christ says Satan desires to have you, in the first part here, verse number 31, Satan have desire to have you. Circle that word in your Bible. That you is in the plural. Then he says, but I have prayed for you. That you is in the singular. So what that means is Simon, Simon, Satan just doesn't desire to have you, but he wants all of you. Satan just doesn't want one member of the body of Christ. He wants all of us. Satan just doesn't want one Christian to lose their soul, but he wants all of us to lose our souls. He's desiring to sift you as wheat. Because, again, the first you is in the plural. So he's not just talking to Peter, but he's talking to all of the disciples that are with Peter. So Satan just doesn't want Peter, but he wants Judas. He wants Bartholomew. Satan wants every individual that he can get who's a member of the body of Christ to lose their soul. And Satan desires to sift you as wheat. The word sift means to separate. They will put wheat into a sieve so that it will separate the waste from the wheat. So Satan wants to shake the sieve and expose who or what you really are. 
You, the individual that is always praising God fervently. You are the one, the, the individual who's always at worship. Satan wants to expose you and show God that you really aren't who you say you are. And often when Satan does this, he puts you in a position to show God you are not who, you, are not who you really say you are. I want you to understand this morning, Satan wants to expose you. Satan is a crafty being. Paul said the wiles of the devil, his methods. Satan is a being that has methods. He's strategic. He is tactful. And he moves with an agenda. He'll try to find what makes you tick. And he will use that to his advantage. And he wants you to curse God to your face. Job 2 in verse number 9 and 10. Satan will look for characteristics that you already have and use them for his purpose. Remember in Genesis chapter 3 verse 1, Satan is not the serpent and the serpent is not Satan. But Satan used the serpent to get his agenda across. The Bible says in Genesis 3 verse 1, Now the serpent was more subtile than the beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, have God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, We shall not surely die, for God doth know in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened. Ye shall become as gods, doing both good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, did eat, gave also unto her husband, and he did eat. And both of their eyes were open, and they knew that they were naked. The Bible says, And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. The Lord God called unto Adam, where art thou? He said, I was afraid and I hid myself because I was naked. God said unto him, who told you that you were naked? Has thou eaten of the tree whereof I command that thou shouldest not eat of? He said, God, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. And then God turned to the woman and said, what is this that thou hast done? The woman said, the serpent beguiled me. And I did eat. Out of those 13 verses in Genesis chapter 3, we see so many different problems going on. But what I want to point out here is Adam begins to blame God for what happened between his household. Adam was supposed to be the leader of his family. Adam was supposed to be the one who was supposed to tell his wife no. But the Bible says Eve gave Adam the fruit and he did the very same thing. A man who made a vow. She is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Now he's saying the woman you gave to be with me, God, is ultimately your fault because you gave me the wife and she ate of the tree. Adam began shifting responsibility to his wife. You see, when people are in sin, they're no longer in their right mind. You ever talk to someone who's in sin or who's going through something? And you have to ask them, can you say that again? You said, what now? Are you really sure about what you're saying? Do, do, do you really know what you're saying? 
You see, when people are in sin, their thinking is not in the right place. Remember Luke chapter 15. I have a man who has joined himself to a pig of pens. And life got so difficult for him, he's even thinking about sharing a meal with them. When we're in sin, we're no longer in our right minds. But that's exactly what Satan wants us to be. Adam and his wife are sitting here arguing about what God had already said. Now, it is the case, we don't read whether or not God had told Eve whether or not she could eat of that tree. Either that tree. But it's interesting to observe. In Genesis chapter 2, God had already told Adam not to eat of that tree. The Bible doesn't say whether or not Eve and Adam or God had a conversation. But what we do know is God had a conversation with Adam not to eat of that tree. Adam went and relayed the information to his wife because his wife came to the conclusion to the serpent God has said, we should not eat of this tree. So Eve knew right from wrong, she just did what she wanted to do. The way Satan destroys churches or homes, whatever it is, he looks for members that already have characteristics that he likes. He looks for characteristics that you already have and he uses them to his agenda. And more often than not, Satan doesn't have to put anything in us because it's already there. Judas betrayed Jesus, John chapter 13. But the Bible says Satan entered Judas. But the Bible says in John chapter 12, Judas was already a greedy man. Who better to betray Jesus than a greedy man? Judas was already covetous. So Satan just used what was already in Judas to fulfill his mission. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 27, don't give the devil place in your life. One of our elders at Cedar Road, Brother Banks, he's always talking about not being a passenger in your own life. And that's a very great illustration there. As members of the body of Christ, it's good to take advice. It's good to seek, it's, it's, it's good to seek counsel and wisdom, but don't become a passenger in your own life. You drive your car. You control your life with God at your side. Don't let anyone else put their hands on your spiritual steering wheel and control where you go. That's between you and God. He's after your faith. Turn, if you would, to the book of Job. So, Simon, I'm praying for you that your faith fail not. In Job chapter 1, again, we have some interesting things the text reveals for us. Satan desires to sift you as wheat. The fact that Satan desires in the Greek text has the idea that Satan is asking permission. That gives me hope. That before Satan can ever touch me, he has to ask God for permission first. The Bible says in Job chapter 1, verse 1, There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, a man that was perfect and upright, one that feared God and eschewed all evil. And then the Bible says, God says, Have you considered my servant Job? 
that there is none like him in all the earth. A perfect and an upright man, one that feared God and eschewed evil. He said, well, God, I can't touch him. Verse chapter, chapter 1, verse 10, thou hast had a hedge of protection around his head. Remove the hedge of protection, and I guarantee you he'll curse you to your face. Challenge accepted. God said, you can do anything you want to Job, just don't kill him. And I'm thankful Satan can't do anything to me today because I, had that, because I have that hedge of protection around me that God has given to me. But throughout the book of Job, we see how he's a developing character. Job 13, verse 10, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Job 23, verse 10, he knoweth the way I take. When he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. David said, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Satan has people who are out to hurt you. But when God has a hedge of protection around you, God can have your enemies watch you eat off God's blessings. The best thing you can do for an enemy is pray for him. Jesus did in Matthew 5, verse 11. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Pray for them that hate you, despitefully use you, and persecute you. As Christians, you know, it's, 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 it's no need of us trying to get even with someone. God is already working things out on behalf of his children. Remember in our Bible class, we talked about Genesis chapter 16, that of Abraham, Hagar, and Sarah. If you remember, after Hagar had ran away from Adam, from Abraham and Sarah's house, Hagar is now pregnant. The angel of the Lord comes down to Hagar and says unto her, I know you're in a difficult situation, but I'm going to take care of you and your son. Both of you are going to be blessed in the midst of something bad happening. Here is God turning it out for good. Even... When you talk about me, it's okay, because God prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And no one can touch me, again, because God has a hedge of protection around me. You see, there is nothing an individual can do to you as long as you're under the protection of God. As long as you're under the hem or the rim of whatever it got, the, the relationship between you and God have, God is going to take care of his children. Now, there will come a day when God removes the hedge of protection, and that's when the real you will be tested. You see, a faith that is not tested is a faith that is simply not worth having. If your faith has not been tested this morning, keep living. If you haven't had any difficult or rough days, keep living. If you haven't woke up one day almost about to lose your mind on understanding what God is doing, keep living. Because we're all going to come to a day where God removes the hedge of protection and he wants us, he wants us to prove to him whether we're really the children of God that we say we are. We're at worship on Sunday, good, Wednesday, good. But there's going to come a time when it's going to be you and whatever it is that confronts you, and you have to deal with it head on. 
2 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 18, we read about how David is facing his Goliath. We see how Goliath is a nine-foot-tall man, has a big chest, has a big breastplate on, carries a big sword. He marches down the hills of Eli. You see, our giants may not be physically humans. Our giants may be cancer. Our giants may be a child or a spouse. Our giants may be something that's close to us, and we too have to go over it. Jesus had to. Jesus had to conquer death. What a sermon. The day death died. Death for centuries had been going around killing people. Think of all the people that live. Alexander the Great, who are you? I'm the Great. Aristotle, Einstein, all those great men that live from creation until this very day, all those men, all those men in Egypt who build pyramids to attest to their great power, their knowledge. After I'm dead and gone, people are still going to remember my name because of all these pyramids. There was a man that almost lived a thousand years. And at the end of his life, the Bible says, and he died. A man lived almost a thousand years and he died. Think of all that life he lived. What about Methuselah? That man, 969 years. Methuselah names means, his name means when he dies, it will come to pass. It's rather amazing to look at how the day Methuselah died, the flood came. 969 years God was giving his grace to man. Noah preached 120 years, 1 Peter 3, verse 20 and 21. Only eight souls were saved. Death conquered them all. And then you have a man coming upon the scenes saying he could do something to death that death had never heard before. John 10, verse 17 and verse 18. Therefore does my father love me that I may lay down my life and that I may take it up again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it up again. I can imagine death walking around saying, what? I know this Jesus, this Messiah, saying he could do something to death that death had never heard before. All those people who said they were going to live forever, death conquered them all. Muhammad Ali. He would always walk around saying, what well, I'm the greatest, death conquered him as well. But here I have a man walking around saying he could do something to death that death had never heard before. And here is Satan in the background. While all of this is going on, Matthew 4, he's tempting Jesus. I know you're hungry, Jesus. Here's some food. Jesus says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. If death were personified this morning, death is the big bully of God's playground of life. And he is bullying God's children, and someone needs to do something about it. But who? And so God sends Jesus into the world. For the Son of Man is to come to seek and to save that which was lost. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. And here I see Jesus going down, being persecuted. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane praying. 
And here you have these men coming to get Jesus. Jesus over and over again was saying, my time had not come, but now his time is here to die. He goes to the scourging post. They whip him. They march him down the streets of Golgotha, up to the hill. He can barely hold the cross. The songwriter says, must Jesus bear the cross alone and all the world go free? He's going up to the hill. He's about to be put to death. Six hours he hung there between heaven and earth. Jesus died because he was suffocated to death. He wasn't able to breathe. And I can imagine you have Satan and you have death saying, I knew it. I finally got him. I'm still undefeated. But day one went by. I can imagine Satan and the death walking around the Hadean realm, telling all those who follow Jesus, see there. Day two went by. He's still walking around beating his chest. All those who said they were great. The man, the God man who said he could do something to death and Satan, he's dead as well. Oh, but what was it like when day three got here? Jesus walking out of the Hadean realm. I can imagine Satan and death. Now they're sweating. Now they have no idea what's happening. The God man is dead, but now he's about to walk out of the Hadean realm. How can he do it? He's the God man. And so on day three, Jesus walks out of the tomb and defeated death. You see, we read our Bibles and we read about how a man came to be a ransom. How a man came to give his life. The man who said he could defeat death. Church, he held good on his promise. The man who said he could do, who, who, who could do something to death that death had never heard before. And here you have Satan. Here you have Satan saying, well, all these things happened. But here's Jesus saying, come unto me, all ye that are heavy and, all ye that are heavy and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Paul again says, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Philippians 1 and verse number 21. Satan, the defeated enemy. 2 Peter 2 and verse 4. For if God spared not the angels that sin against him in heaven, but cast them down into Tartarus, resentment to the judgment. Satan can no longer do anything to the faithful child of God anymore. Because of Matthew 28, verse 6, he is not here, or is he? For he's risen. Satan, this morning, wants you to lose your soul. This morning, he wants you to die, end up in the devil's hell. But again, here is Jesus saying, I come that they may have life, and that they may have it more abundantly, John 10 and verse number 10. Christ is saying that, that, that for which cause we faint not. Chapter 5, verse 1, 2 Corinthians, for we know 
that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. Romans chapter 7 and verse number 21, Paul says, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God as of the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity, the law of sin, which is in my members. Paul says, I'm trying to do right, but evil is present with me every day. All of us can sympathize with Paul. All of us have tried to do good and we end up doing bad. All of us have tried to make things better and we made them worse. But in chapter 8, verse 1, Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And so here I have Peter saying, Lord, I'm going to go with you both to prison and to death. And then Christ is saying, Peter, I got a message for you. Simon desires to have you. Satan desires to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I'm praying for you that your faith fail not, and when you are converted, strengthen thy brethren. It's amazing to observe that Christ told Peter, when you're converted, wasn't Peter already converted? What, hadn't Peter already seen people raised from the dead, seen Christ walk on water? Peter had already seen all these miracles, but yet Christ told him, when you're converted, strengthen thy brethren. Just because we're members of the body of Christ doesn't mean we're fully converted. Just because we're members of the body of Christ doesn't mean we're the people God wants us to be. He says, when you're converted, strengthen thy brethren. The last test I want to read them to you here in this morning. Turn, if you will, to Luke chapter 15. Again, a few moments ago, we talked about that, that, that young man who had left his father's house, joined himself to a pig's pen. But I want to look at, look at you for a few moments here, Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, again, towards the end of this chapter, we have the parable of the prodigal son. The Bible says in verse number 28 of Luke 15, and he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgress I at any time thy commandments. And yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which had devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said, Son, thou art ever with me. And all that I have is thine. Satan doesn't want us to go get those that are lost. Look at verse number 32. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad. For this thy brother was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. Again, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save those that were lost. This morning, if you're not a child of God, God wants you to be. We read throughout the book of Acts, the book of conversions, how men and women heard and obeyed the gospel. Romans 10, 17, Paul says, Well, then faith coming by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. I tell you, neighbor, it shall be repent, ye shall all likewise perish. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. 
And upon that confession, Peter said, The light figure wearing to even baptism doth now also save us. It's not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but it is an answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection from his son from the dead. Men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be in Christ, then only then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And if you're a child of God this morning and you have sinned, the Bible says in 1 John 1 verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Verse 7, the first one, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. The blood of his son, it cleanseth us from all sin. This morning, God wants you to go to heaven. This morning, if you have any need, please come as together we stand and sing.